HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Happy Halloween. I am Andrea Ween, and you are listening to Meant to be Eaten. Today, I've got Trig Brown and Josh Koo, the owners of the Taiwanese-American restaurant Win Sun, in the studio with me. Guys, welcome to the show. What's up? How's it going? Pretty good. We were just talking about Halloween costumes. What's the best one you've seen so far today? I don't know. Maybe this guy out here in the dining room has a pretty pretty sweet get-up. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what it is. I think it might be a <laughs> character from Splatoon. I saw a cool Zelda today. Actually, it was she, it was like this this like female Zelda. It was, it was awesome. I think or Link. I guess Zelda. It is a female. So fair. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wonder Woman is like the costume of the year. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of Wonder Woman. So let's talk a little bit about Taiwanese food because it has a lot of different influences at play, and I think people might not be very familiar with what some of the major foods or flavors are. So can you guys describe a little bit of of what constitutes Taiwanese food? Uh. Yeah, so um, because of the history of Taiwan um, and the different occupying nations in Taiwan, I think there's a nice mix of uh, of cuisines, uh, most dominantly uh, Chinese cuisine. Um, But, you know, the Japanese were there right before that, and uh, you have some, I think, lingering cuisine from there, or at least... uh, I guess approaches to the type of food and like styles. Um, yeah, I, th- I think like one of like like you said, uh, most dominantly like, a Chinese influence. But I think almost a distinguishing factor is the Japanese ling- uh, influence because uh, you know it's definitely uh, it definitely is like you know the, even the bento like the bento Taiwanese bento boxes are more like you know yeah. like stylistically Japanese but like composed of by they're called uh, biandang. Mm. Um, 
and it, yeah, it's like rice. Then you got your your meat. Uh, <laughs> are there certain flavors, or like, are there other than that? Like, are there dishes? Like, when you think of Taiwanese food, you're like, that is a Taiwanese. I mean, you know, bao obviously is a big one that everyone kind of goes to. But what are some of the other ones specifically that you guys would say exemplify Taiwanese? Uh, at the restaurant, we have uh, oajian, which is uh, an oyster omelet. And I think that's very distinctly Taiwanese. And then yeah. lu fan, yeah. uh, super, super Taiwanese. Uh, what else? Would What's you say? that? Sorry. The lu fan is the, the minced pork belly over rice. Um, it's a super easy snack dish on the run kind of thing that you have uh, in Taiwan. Would um, it be similar to like a larb, maybe? Um, yeah. Lar, yeah. I mean, we if if we're gonna go in that direction, like there, we have we have a dish called flies on the menu, which is much more, much closer to lar. The ta- the 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 minced pork, the lure fun is like a, is bra is like a braised stew meat almost. Um, I think it translates right to from Mandarin to like uh, stew pork rice. Um, so, um, it's like a, it's. A, Whereas uh, larb and and kind of fly said that is a dish you find in Taiwan, but it has roots in Sichuan. Um, that is like it's more of a uh, you know ground ground meat and lots of vegetables. You know, a meat dish that's heavily heavily vegetal. <laughs> okay, cool. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to open the restaurant? I know you guys spent some time in Taiwan. You're both American. You're Taiwan Taiwanese American, but. Talk a little bit about the evolution of what brought you to Open Wind Sun. Um, so uh, for me, it was kind of just discovering the food, and uh, well, I'm like I guess going grand picture here, and that was in college. I was living in Flushing at the time and commuting to the city to go to school, and um, I would end up eating a lot in Flushing, uh, and. I never really got into it until then and like looked into it uh the kind of food and what made it taste so good and I you know tried cooking it at home like the fly's head that Trig brought up was my favorite dish or still is I think my favorite dish that we that we have on the menu um and then uh you know Trig and I met you know uh seven eight years ago um, at a party, and from there, kind of our relationship grew, and we started hanging out more together, and going out, and and eating different kinds of food, and really kind of centered around Taiwanese food. Yeah, I I, um, I really enjoyed like the educational educational aspect of my uh, friendship with Josh. We had like a fun thing going on where we go, uh, you know, we go eat together, and uh, Josh would you know take me to his favorite Taiwanese spot, and um, you know. We'd be we'd kind of eat a dish and be like, oh, what makes this Taiwanese or why is this like Chinese dish at this Taiwanese restaurant and you know where do they like blend and what's uh, you know mm-hmm. the significance of um, you know this ingredient or that and you know I think Fly said was an early hitter for us just because uh, even though it's probably not the most like um, iconically Taiwanese dish it is uh, one that just hit we just liked a lot um, and I think it's just a really balanced uh, has a really balanced flavor profile and. You know, while it is a meat dish, it's there's more vegetables than meat, um, so it's a nice, light dish that like has all these nice working parts together. Um, Trick, do you feel like your love for Taiwanese food came before meeting Josh, or it really grew and evolved after? No, it really grew and evolved after. I I, uh, I worked in a uh, in like a high end Japanese restaurant in uh, college for 
um, my culinary mentor, uh, Pei Jinchang. And um, Pei is uh, politically Chinese and his family's from Taiwan. Um, and, uh, and he grew up in LA, Pei's from LA. Um, but, uh, you know, he like, he, I, I uh, learned a lot about cooking and a lot about life and food working for pay. Um, he's been a huge influence on my career. Um, but, um, you know, I just really knew that he had this, uh, you know, uh, politically, um, Chinese history, uh, heritage, um, but his family's from Taiwan. So kind of grasping that nuance, like, you know, introduced to me this complex history in Taiwan. And when, uh, Josh and I started eating Taiwanese food together, um, then I started really, you know, experiencing what that, um, food culture, um, or how powerful that food culture was, um, or is. And, uh, you started like asking more questions. Yeah. Yeah. And it became more real. Yeah. 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 Um, there was an interview where it said from the history to the traditional elements of each dish, they have a genuine understanding of what they're dealing with. They're extra conscious about the alterations they make to dishes and the implications of those changes as well. And I think right now and in this show especially, we talk a lot about like white chefs cooking cuisines of other cultures. And where is that line of appropriation versus appreciation? So Trig, how do you think about you know, paying homage to a dish while still making it uniquely your own, I guess? Um, that's a great question, you know, and I, one that I think w- always will be on the forefront of my, you know, intentions or uh, conscious and um, especially, you know, at Winsun. Um, but, uh, you know, um, when, you know, when we do a dish like Luro Fon, um, you know, we serve ours a little bit bigger, um, you know, because it's a dinner, sit down dinner restaurant. So, um, you know, we uh, want to. You know, we focus on accessibility. What we we thought that, um, you know, we we intended we set out for Winson to make uh, food that we had to travel far for accessible in our neighborhood in Brooklyn. It's like a pretty pretty simple um, objective. And uh, the you know, but my background is not is not Chinese or Taiwanese food. So um, obviously, it has to run through through. A perspective, um, and if, if it's a foreign perspective, there there will be some things changed in translation. And uh, you know, we try to make those changes minor or thoughtful or historically significant or contextualized, um, or when they are when they do involve leaps, that the leaps are um, are are thought out and uh, logical and um, hopefully serve to both crowds. You know, I think uh, you know we. You know, like the, for instance, like I was talking about the Lou, um, you know, we, we made it a little bigger and we have a little, um, like a chili vinaigrette that kind of cuts through the really fatty, delicious heritage pork belly fat. Um, I read you guys right? use red wattle a yeah. lot and that's my favorite pork. I'm obsessed <laughs> cool. with it. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely, it, that, that high quality pork really, especially that dish, it's just, a, you know, it's braised pork belly and it, um, it like really coats every grain of rice. It's so good. And, uh, we, you know, we throw it, we throw a soy egg on there. Um, with some pickled Chinese broccoli and uh, and this chili vinaigrette that kind of like rounds everything out. And, um, you know, that's definitely an adjustment that we've made. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think people ordering that dish see Lou Rofan and they start to associate it with this, um, you know, this popular dish. And, you know, hopefully they build associations or, um, you know, maybe ask some questions or, you know, at least they have this awareness of Lou Rofan. And, um, you know, I think... 
Uh, I think uh, most people most people are happy with it, um, especially with the brunch version it has fried eggs. I think people like that a lot. Um, Can't go wrong with pork fat and fried eggs. Yeah, um, but you know, it's it's a it's a, probably the highest compliment we can receive when somebody from Taiwan or with Taiwanese family is like. God, this like the the flavors really remind me of home, or you know, my remind me of my mom's cooking or my wife's cooking, and um, or I try to make this all the time, and like I think you nailed it, you know, like uh, we Josh has a family friend, and uh, and and I trailed at his uh, at his restaurant um, in Long Island, and um, spent some spent the day cooking with them, and um, you know, getting some practice on their walks, and uh, it's just such a nice guy. They cook for me after. And they came to the restaurant for brunch after church one day, and he was especially complimentary about our alajin. And uh, that is just such like a, I mean, it's like the, one of the first dishes that we eat whenever we hit Tainan. Uh, when, and it's like just such a, you know, he like him complimenting my oyster omelet. Uh, it was like you know really special and meant a lot. And you know, I guess it's like some sort of acceptance kind of feeling, but also just feels like we're doing our job. Um, it also highlights, you know, it's we can come up with an idea or Trey can come up with like a dish that's based on like a Taiwanese dish. Let's say, for example, the Jin. Um, and like it's, he was touching on it before where it's like, you know, we also respond to, you know, people's, you know, uh, reception of, of a dish and, you know, even sometimes making adjustments like yeah. the Jin when Trig was uh, first, when we first opened, until now it's it's evolved um and so like we we still like you know this whole idea about it being accessible and really like doing a dish that people will try that's totally out of their comfort zone or even like out of their vocabulary um i think is the goal yeah and and adjusting like a dish like that um has helped i think in in, in making it more accessible and that's only through you know just rolling with it and seeing, you know, what people See, say. Yeah. yeah it's, and like with the Oajin, actually, like we've gotten probably like more out there with it. Cause we, we were like that, the consistency, like one of the defining elements, I think of the dish is it's like, you know, like oysters, oyster liquor is like kind of gooey or like, you know, thick, right. Or viscous. And the oysters are like, kind of like, you know, snotty you know like in general like they're delicious i love oysters but like you know that as it's like slimy texture in a good way um and then and then uh, tying it together with an egg dish with a sweet potato starch um you know mixture is uh it, it has this like this gooey texture that westerners sometimes have a hard time stomaching but i think you know um brightening it up with a lot of like you know herbs and um you know uh Flavor uh, is is uh, a way for people to visually agree with it, but it's already a pretty dish. So, um, you know, we've kind of swung more Taiwanese with that dish as we've sort of hit our stride and felt like we can take liberties and like, you know, um, really like drive that dish home. And uh, you know, from making the the oyster gravy to the to the sweet potato starch uh, factor, um, making the dish more gooey like that. That is, you know, I. Somebody sitting at table 11 the other night didn't really vibe with their oyster omelet, but like, you know, but a, a lot of people do. So, you know, we're, we're okay with, uh, you know, the person that doesn't like the stinky tofu. That's why it's only $5 and it is uh, a small portion. So you can, you can make a, um, a, a decision or, a, a 
inconsequential financial decision to try something new like stinky tofu or oyster omelet not that they're the same thing at all but you know like you can you can explore and learn and you know if you don't like it that's fine but like (laughs) yeah that was actually one of my questions if you guys when you get feedback if you move further away from kind of authentic Taiwanese into a more Americanized palate, but I'm, you're saying it's actually gone the other way. I mean, with that, you know, with that dish, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it can work conversely too. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, and like with the oyster omelet, you know, you can, I guess, solidify your oyster fan base, and then in turn, like that can be its own like promotion or like its own like uh, reference, right, or referral for like other folks to come by and try it and like oh their oyster omelet is really good it's like the one i remember like eating in taiwan or something to that extent and then you know you get people coming in with that on their mind um i feel like that's maybe another way to approach it to make to popularize it you know and maybe that's like pretty out there but i think it might have a hand in in, in making it a more ordered dish yeah know? I'm in the studio with the guys from Wind Sun. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about authenticity at the restaurant. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. Incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. I'm Andrea Ween, and you are listening to Meant to Be Eaten. Today we're talking to Trig Brown and Josh Gu, the owners of the Taiwanese-American restaurant Win Sun in Brooklyn. So guys, when you think about authenticity and what authenticity really means to you at the restaurant, is it authenticity of experience? Is it authenticity to Taiwanese cuisine? What do you, how do you think through that? Um, I think it was more like a response. I think in the beginning we had an idea that we wanted to be, I don't know, like authentic enough in air quotes. Um, but uh like i think i don't think that was our our priority i mean obviously we were worried about what people thought but i think we just wanted to make good food and yeah trig definitely can do that and uh um i think now though uh i would say that it's if, if if someone comes in and eats um orders you know a few dishes and they find something that reminds them of uh, the flavors or an experience, just the whole experience itself. Um, think that's 
a win. Um, I think if someone comes in also and maybe doesn't really find uh, the same kind of authentic experience that they remember, if they were like traveling in Taiwan or even if they're from Taiwan, but they, they, they see that, you know, I mean, we carry Taiwan beer and uh, we're about to get the gold medal Taiwan beer, which is a, the most popular Taiwan beer in Taiwan. Um, that hasn't been approved yet by uh, the state, but um, we're, we're trying to promote Taiwanese culture. Um, and and yeah. Car- Carson Yu, he was on the, he was on the show Feast Meets, Meets West a couple weeks ago, and he had a really good quote where he was talking about, like, Taiwan, Taiwanese food is here. Like, we don't need, like, somebody to bring it to New York, you know, and, and that's a very astute observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, um, but but on the I think you know what we're trying to do is not necessarily br- you know bring it uh, to New York as much as just like communicate this like experience and food that we're fond of and I think like you know having like Taiwan beer um, you know sometimes you look out in the restaurant like every person's drinking a Taiwan beer and that just like reminds me of being on a street at a restaurant and. Taiwan, where like everybody is drinking Taiwan beer, so or Heineken, uh, yeah, yeah, Heineken is like the other Heineken's big more popular. How often do you feel like diners are asking you guys questions about the culture, about what the different ingredients are, about the beer? Like how how are you communicating aside from just the food and, and the menu that you're putting out about that culture? I mean, we start, yeah, like our servers are, are you know, they really know the menu well, and you know, um, they, you know, some some of our servers have been with us. Uh, uh, you know, since we opened a, a, a year and a half ago, right. um, so like the, you know, it's really fun to see them have like start to think uh, you know politically about Taiwan or Taiwanese food and you know, see their responses and how they've kind of grown from um, you know no knowledge to like pretty complex and depth knowledge. And uh, you know, I think that's part of our you know part of our training package. And you know, people. At Winson, um, should know how to talk about the food, and you know, so, and to their, you know, um, also just, you know, they're not, they're also not necessarily experts, so they, you know, they know when to field a question to the kitchen or to a manager, and uh, you know, one of our number one goals is just to, you know, sort of like raise raise awareness, um, you know, through our food. So I think, you know. yeah, it's it's nice to hear, or it's nice to to have folks that you work with like ask about, you know, or just say like oh i don't really know anything about taiwan i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna go like read about it online tonight or look at things and and we have in like our management emails we sent out like you know some there's a documentary called the uh, hope which talks how do you with, spell it uh, <laughs> uh, i think <laughs> it's h-e-b-e-i but it's a doc i i don't i'll pull it up in a little bit but it's a basically follows uh um the documentarian follows her dad through uh, through his storytelling, but he, she's filming this over like a span of a good amount of years, and he basically visits where he was from in China, in Hebei, China, and also like kind of his view and his uh, his experience um, during the war and uh, his politics or like 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 Carol doesn't care about really politics because it's all only brought him like grief um mm. but they also follow him in taiwan where he spent most of his adult life and uh in taipei and like where he used to live and uh 
like it was a very insightful uh, film just about like that period in Taiwan and this one dude's experience. Um, and uh, our old cook Joey was super into it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like stuff like that, it's always nice to just, you know, talk about those things, stuff that, you know, obviously is interesting to us. Do you feel like you have a deeper appreciation for your heritage since opening the restaurant and really getting more involved in what the cuisine of Taiwan is all about? Yeah, it's kind of like, like, you know, when you're in school and you're learning about the 13 colonies and like muskets and how muskets work and like that was super interesting for me and you know about you know the uh the ride uh paul revere's ride along with the other guys that he rode with like that that was like like me like you know now that's me now like learning about different things i haven't been as proactive about it recently but that's kind of like the feeling you know it's this is our history you know like bunch of white old white dudes with <laughs> wigs I mean, it was cool and you know but yeah it's yeah i mean it's definitely like <laughs> yeah um the uh i don't think you know we had like i said we had like a pretty simple goal of like bringing this you know doing communicating this experience in our neighborhood and uh building a business plan around it and then you know became it kind of we kind of at some point realized that we're by the food we were cooking, we were sort of making a political statement. Um, That's on some level. Um, you know, we're like over-dramatized what we're doing. But like, you know, um, the Taiwanese-American community is really small. And we've had the opportunity to meet extremely successful people that have provided invaluable mentorship. And, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. the Boba guys or like Wilson Tang. Like, not that, you know, like the, these guys, uh, you know, just mainly just in the, you know, in the food industry. Um, it's It's been... Uh, it's been it's been really cool to um you know to like the platform that all of a sudden that we have yeah yeah um and i think that's kind of given us a a presented obligation to us like know you know learn and uh i need to go study (laughs) Yeah. yeah well i'm curious too i mean obviously you're bringing a new awareness to the community and a new angle to the community, but Josh, especially as a native New Yorker, you know, Winsun inhabits, I think, an old uh, Dominican restaurant. Yeah. So in terms of like the gentrification of the neighborhood, how does that make you feel as a native New Yorker? Um, I mean, it happens. It's been happening forever. It happens everywhere. Um, I think how quickly it happens is really what is uh, the most difficult part to deal with. Um, And in our neighborhood, uh it's happening pretty quickly or it's been happening but uh i think uh like we you know uh i mean i'm i'm very close to a lot of people in the neighborhood whether it's business owners or supers or um father pedro across the street uh, most holy trinity catholic church is right across the street from us and um and I think uh, it's been. What was your question? Just like, just I guess how how you feel about the gentrification of the neighborhood that feel? you're so familiar with. It, it's definitely like uh, like a, a, a thing of ambivalence because you know we can see the restaurant getting busier and stuff, uh, but yeah. you know, like one of our another like you know our goal like we we're especially fond of our location because we've lived in the neighborhood or near the neighborhood for a long time. Um, 
and w- like the the vibes in, on Montrose are a little bit different than Morgan or Jefferson or you know Grand or Graham. They're you know it's kind of like a forgotten stop because there's some like projects nearby, which is you know a little silly. And uh, but it's like kind of preserved this really cool um, neighborhood vibe that I think uh, that I think is a little rare um, on the L train corridor. Um, yeah, there's a lot of families, you know. Um, and I think it's, some, I mean, in Bushwick, there's like Jeff, the Jefferson Stop and uh, like DeKalb. And I think those are very neighborhood oriented as well. Um, and I think, you know, on one hand, like people come in and like ask me like or ask us like, uh how much of your clientele is like like white you know like gentrifiers essentially like do you have any like Asians come in and and, <laughs> and, and like my response or our response usually is like actually we do like I would say on a night to night basis our customers are coming within like half a mile a mile radius um, and maybe like a quarter of them or maybe a little bit more are like traveling from much further distances to come eat. Um, and then within that, uh, you know, our, our neighborhood regulars do occupy like a significant uh, portion of that. Um, and we can't deny that that's, you know, how we've been able to stay busy um, because of what's going on with, you know, um, the real estate investing going on and and uh, how many new buildings are going up or being completely gut renovated into luxury apartments. Um, you know, that, that benefits us financially. Um, but I think also it's a trade-off, right? Like you need to have, uh, I mean, we need to be able to run a business and, uh, and that of course, that success helps us, you know, engage our platform more that you know that we're figuring out now and and i mean have figured out but um that can change you know and and allows us to grow and and kind of promote you know this this culture and this food that we want to that we want to talk about and share yeah and there is like a there is like a a, I, i don't um you know, there, there's a very unfair, uh, per, like, world perspective, I feel like, on Taiwan. Because there's, like, not a lot of people that understand its complex history and political situation. So, um, you know, when you, the more and more you learn about it, it kind of becomes, like, especially from, like, a, I, like Western democratic, like, ideal, it becomes a little, it becomes a little frustrating because um, it just seems unfair. And uh, the, um, you know, truly trying to get away from, you know, your perspective and see like what's best for Taiwan is a hard thing. And, you know, we have a lot of folks that we talk to, um, you know, to kind of, um, level that those opinions and kind of like play that devil's advocate. Um, you know, one China versus independent Taiwan is a very you know, difficult thing to, to, uh, you know, th- those are difficult waters to wade. So, um, you know, but, that we do consider the platform uh, a, a serious one. So, you know, just to echo, you know, or build on what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I think in that same vein, and, you know, I think there's this argument right now that most ethnic food can't command a high price point. Do you feel like that's true of Taiwanese food, or do you feel like... For in, sure in, not. We want, like, a really good price point. Um, 
because you know we want to include our neighborhood and we're not 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 in Manhattan but you know I think if we wanted to do like a fine dining Taiwanese spot we could we could do that like there's I mean you look at raw or um, a number of the um, you know super high-end restaurants in Taiwan they're killing it and um, it's so fun um, to look at you know the dishes they're putting together and um, you know I think our style isn't like that you know so um, you know we we enjoy being like a uh, you know cat like a casual restaurant um, but it's, you know like it's definitely like a issue that people yeah. have right yeah. like uh you walk into a spot and i mean you could eat pretty affordably um at the restaurant you know there's certain dishes you know that i recommend to people um that i know you know are, are don't have a lot of money to spend on eating out um but i think you're always going to have that as long as you know that stereotype like remains um, for American Chinese food versus like any other sort of or like Thai food, takeout Thai food or anything like that. Like you're always going to have those associations for the general public, um, and that's going to change. But, um, but you know, we haven't had any like you know we haven't had any issues you know, charging um, fifteen, sixteen dollars for a bowl of noodles that you know have uh, you know yeah. New York, uh, New York grass-fed antibiotic-free goat or yeah. you know. Um, grass-fed beef or do you feel like that has anything to do with the fact that you guys are young white dudes or not white but like young american dudes (laughs) some people have called me a banana before (laughs) um no i mean i think that's like you know like like restaurant the restaurants restaurant industry is changing right like you know a while back like you you know like the you know you take somebody out and go to a meal and like go to a show or something. Sometimes now people take people out just to go to a restaurant. Like it's like, uh, that's my ideal date for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's an experience that people are going for these days. And I think like, um, most people want to go achieve that experience at an affordable price and at a location that they can walk or ride their bike to. And, um, you know, so that's where, you know, that's like kind of our basis for like a pricing levels. You know, we want to, we want to make, um, you know, our food something that you can that you can get. And uh, you're going to have those Yelpers though that say like, <laughs> yeah. I can get a better dumpling in Flushing <laughs> for a quarter of the price. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, okay. Is your hope though also that maybe those restaurants can actually start charging more because of what you guys are doing, perhaps, and and you're elevating the cuisine more? Um, no, <laughs> I think yeah, I think you know. We, you know, where we're at now is we, we have like a niche that we've figured out just from being open and we want to stay within that and do the best we can within that and make people happy within that. And I think the more experience we have with Winsun itself, um, the better off we'll be taking that experience somewhere else and opening up something that maybe we know the neighborhood needs as well or or that we want to try, you know, so that kind of ties into, um, to our future plans, which is to open up another spot. And, uh, we're still, you know, in, in the early stages of that looking for a location, but we that's have a, we have a timeline on that. That's exciting. Uh, I don't know. No. <laughs> like okay. in the next year, we'll probably sign a lease and get to work, but yeah. probably a little shorter than that. 
Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show. If people want to come eat the food at Winsun, where can they find you? What's the address? We're at 159 Graham Avenue, uh, around the corner there um, on Montrose, two blocks away from the Montrose L train. And uh, we're by Duck Duck. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm Andrea Ween, and this has been Meant to be Eaten. We'll see you next week. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.